Hey, this is Jay Kramer, son of Bernardus Jr. and grandson of Bernardus Sr. Welcome to episode nine of The House That Built Us, the story of a Dutch boy who lived the American dream. In this episode, we finish up the great European journey and the honeymoon, and two Kramers becoming three. A special thanks to the original music written and recorded by Bernardus at bernardusmusic.com. Enjoy. Okay, so I had just asked about just kind of the, I guess, the path that you guys were taking. So Antwerp to Tilburg, and then then you got on the bus or the train to go through Germany down into Italy. Is that is that where we're at? Yep. Okay. Went through Austria. Mm-hmm. Yep. Went through the pass, dropped down into northern Italy, and that's where we spent our trip. That was our trip when Ben was a tour guide. Gotcha. Um, Paul asked me a few minutes ago to tell you about Oma's reaction to meat when she came to visit us in um, about 1970 or so, I think. His mother and um, Willie came to visit us in January. And um, it was wonderful having them. We loved it. She got to see how we lived. But every night at dinner, uh, we would serve them some kind of nice meat, like we do, like Americans do, you know, either something, pork, beef, chicken, whatever. But it was a nice size. And invariably, the entire time she was with us, she would eat a few bites of what we served her, and she would want to save the rest for later. She just could not eat that amount of meat. She'd never done it in her whole life. And I guess it was, um, uh, she was very thrifty. She felt she didn't need that uh, amount of food that that she needed to save us. And, I, you know, I think, I don't think it was a pleasant thing with her. I think she thought we were very, um, what could I say, Paul? Extravagant? Gluttonous? Extravagant? Paul, are you with us? Yeah, man. That's a good word. Yeah. Wasteful. Wasteful. There you go. She thought we were very wasteful. Yeah. But anyway, um, we loved having her. And that's for another day. But we're back in Italy now. And in uh, one of these little side trips, it wasn't far from where we were, but I know we, we went on a bus and everybody got off the bus and we went into this area that was like ruins. It had partial walls all around it. And it was um, a restaurant cafe type thing. But um, that was not our reason for being there. The city was entertaining us in this area. And so our bus unloaded into it. It was a really pretty really pretty uh, place with uh, lots of plants and growth and just a beautiful atmosphere. And when we were being served, um, Ben, of course, had beer and anybody else who wanted it was drinking beer. But they served us great big, huge glasses of Ostri Spumante out of uh, wood cake, wood uh, cakes with spouts on them 
like like beer dispensers. Yeah. Only they were dispensing Asti Spumani. That was where Asti Spumani came from. So <laughs> and I thought was I high. had died and lost it. I <laughs> thought I had died and gone to heaven. That was the first experience I had with wine that I absolutely loved. That tastes you know, like juice. This, yes, until that moment, until that, that very experience, I was literally kind of a non-drinker. I mean, I could do it, but it's not something I would look forward to. But, oh, my God, I couldn't put that stuff down. That was just the best stuff I've ever tasted in my whole life. <laughs> and I think that, you know, that's still Ben's favorite. <laughs> I think. Uh, so I, I do have a question about this. What What is kind of the 1960 in Texas? How How are all your friends, like... I mean, obviously, you're you're just kind of a normal Missouri, Texas gal, pretty, pretty, you know, just like the rest of your friends. How how did this trip? How how unique was this trip at this time? And and how how much were your eyes open? I mean, it sounds like this this trip really changed the way that you look at the world. You look at other people and just understanding culture, understanding drink and food. Yeah, everything. Did this change a lot? Yeah, it was like a whole college education in one summer. I had never dreamed of how other people live um, in such a small scope. But in this restaurant this time, we we were served the ostrich, we were the beer and stuff, and we were given on a pasto little nibble things and um, wonderful, you know, all that good Italian stuff is as a little snack. And the village had a uh, choir and it was made up mainly of men and they uh, sang a cappella. And there were probably 20 or so of them that filed into this little area where we were sitting drinking our wine. And as they came in, they were singing. And they surrounded us all around where we were. Um, and they were dressed in just normal um, farm clothes, like they weren't dressed up or anything. Um, they didn't have on costumes of any kind or anything. They were just like normal people. And that was... Um, absolutely blind-boggling to me that was the best music i had ever heard in my whole life they were totally in harmony and just joyous in their singing and they serenaded us for i don't know probably 30 40 minutes and we loved it and then they came and sat down with us and talked to us and they wanted to talk to me about America. What was America like? You know, what did you do? How, how did you get here? You know, all that kind of stuff. Mm. And it was uh, just absolutely amazing. Just simply blew me away. So you're a movie star. Yeah, I was a movie star. Absolutely. Everywhere I went, I was on stage and, and singled out uh, because of, of uh, this. And then they went on with, um, with the, the accordions and the string music and all that kind of stuff and dance and sang some more and everybody danced and and all that kind of thing and that was our entertainment that day the next morning um 
we drove on into another section of uh, uh, Garda region that I had not been to before. And as we were coming in, we, we passed a large river. And the uh, women of the, of the um, city, some of them were down on the rocks washing clothes. And they were pounding on, on rocks to get them clean. And that just, oh, I cannot tell you what kind of an impression. I mean, my mother had an electric washing machine my entire life. And here were these women washing clothes with rocks. This was probably the result of the war, but a lot of them were probably just doing what they had always done their entire life. We went into the center of this town, and the very center of it had a large water well. And women were coming with buckets and uh, filling the buckets. And then there were long poles that went from one bucket to the other, and they carried them on their shoulders back to their houses. And that was their water supply. And um, as we walked down the little, the, the, the water hole, uh, the water uh, fountain thing, it was in the very center of the town. And then from there, like a, a wagon wheel, there were little roads going off to the side. And Ben and I walked down one. And all of the houses were um, had fences in front of them. And the only way we could see in was if we had one that had a, a space large enough that we could peer through it and see it was on the inside. And the houses were all built back away, and they had uh, big front yards. And the front yards was where they kept all their animals. So there were chickens and pigs and goats and everything running around in these little front yards. And then their houses were in the back, and that's where they lived. They got their water from the fountain in the middle of the town. They're hey, very poor people. Hey, Mom. Yeah. Um, do you remember the I Love Lucy episode from Italy? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, just, I, I, I just looked it up, and it was... Yeah, it was uh, filmed in night or uh, aired in 1957, 56. Oh, really? So just a few, oh, okay. Yeah, just just a few years before your trip there. That's the way it looks. That's the way it looks. Yep, yeah, yeah. Good old life. Good old Lucy. Um, and then that day we had a we. It was mountainous, and we climbed uh, halfway up a mountain, and there was a little place up there where you could sit and have a cup of coffee. And so Ben and I were doing that, and I'm sure he was having a beer while I had my coffee. But all of a sudden, um, a man and his little son came into the cafe and talked to the proprietor for a little while and then turned around and said, could we have your attention to, could, could we have your attention? We have something to announce. And this was all in Italian, but it got our attention. And then Ben said, I'll tell you in a minute. And... Um, this man came in with his with his son, and he said, um, "My my son has something for the American lady." And so we were very attentive. And the little boy handed me an Edelweiss, it's a very small white little flower that only grows in the most obscure rocks on the edge of a mountain. And he had to be a mountain goat to get to it. And that morning he had climbed down the edge of the mountain and picked one for me and, and brought it to the cafe for me. 
because I was the American lady visiting there. It's the same thing they sing about in uh, The Sound of Music. Yeah. 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 And for years, uh, I had that in one of those encyclopedias, those great big encyclopedias in Dad's, uh, in the library, in the family room. I had it in there. It was dried. I, I stuck it in there, and it, it lived in there forever. I don't know where it is right now. Because when we were moving, we were trying to get rid of all those big books. And I saw it. I saw the Edelweiss, and I wondered, you know, do I need it? Do I not? And I'm not at all sure what happened to it. But it was there I'm, all of your life. Paul. I'm pretty sure we kept it, Mom. It's yeah. there in, they're in the box in the garage. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. But anyway, I kept it because it was so unusual. It was just, I mean, that little kid... <laughs> It just blew me away. And the only way I got it was because I was an American. And it was it was just unbelievable. You probably never wanted to leave. I loved it. But, you know, after a while, it, uh, your brain becomes kind of um, over, over, over uh, stimulated. And you be, begin to kind of uh, want to calm it down. You, you know, you you want to go back to your own TV and you want to have a hamburger and um, drive a car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dad and I were walking everywhere or, or, or even riding bikes. Sometimes we would borrow bikes or rent bikes and I would have to ride a bike with him too, which is okay. I could, I was young and could do that, but it was just so foreign to me because everywhere in the U S you know, we, we went with cars. I think everyone who's traveled can kind of attest to that. I remember, yeah. I mean, the only kind of major international travel I've done so far is, Vietnam and the amazing cuisine and food. And even after just like a week, 10 days, you're like dying for McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, something really trash. Yeah, I think yeah, everyone can I relate to that. Nachos. Give me some nachos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, anything else about Italy or about the honeymoon that we go next? Um, I'm kind of at a blank right now. I I, um, I guess things to think about would be any kind of other memorable experiences that kind of stuck with you or things that you brought back to the U.S., oh, whether physical um, or mental or There, there was one thing. He took me, he took me to a, a, an outdoor market uh, on our trip, and, and they're all over Italy, so it's not unusual to find one. But um, we didn't have any money to spend. And they were selling um, Italian knit sweaters, those really, really beautiful, nice ones, for a dollar or two. In these, uh, in this open market, and oh my God, I just went crazy. I thought those were the most beautiful things, and I was allowed to buy one sweater. That was it, and I kept it for fifty years. <laughs> I don't know where it went. Wow. But it went to somebody eventually. But I, I, I did buy one, and it was Girl, that, has it. that we paid later. We paid two hundred dollars for one of those sweaters. You know, if you had to buy it here, I would often buy them in in Italy or or in Europe, and they were cheaper. But it's just just that beautiful wool knit that was wonderful. And that day too, we saw the woman sitting uh, on a tarp on what I thought was a stool. And somebody came by and asked her, gave her an order. She removed the tarp and took a great big, uh, huge knife 
and uh, whacked off a big chunk of cheese that looked like it was probably Parmesan and um, wrapped it up and, get, you know, did her her um, sale and then put the cover back on the cheese and sat back down on it. <laughs> so Yeah, what? I guess, yeah. So what are some other things that Opa at this point, what are some things that he's just like, oh, think, because this is his home. This is, he grew up here, obviously not Italy, but yeah. Um, yeah. what are some things that he missed that he was just obsessed about that he either well, ate or enjoyed? Yeah, the German beer. I, I mean, you know, that was just the highlight of his trip. Um, he loved the Parmesan cheese and the cheeses. He he, he just absolutely um, got so hungry for Gouda, you know, when he was in the U.S. And for years, we couldn't get it. Um, in later years, it, it was everywhere. But when, when we first got married, we couldn't get Gouda anywhere. Every time they someone had, says Gouda, still to this day, I have Opa in my head screaming at me. <laughs> Gouda. Not Gouda, Gouda, yeah. <laughs> Oh boy, but but um, you know we went to Delft and he explained to me uh, all of uh, all about that China and how it originated and and um, the design and how it became the national Dutch uh, China um, and uh, other things that were just amazing. The houses are different, you know, in Holland. They're they're. Uh, shapes are different. He would tell me all about that. And people were gauged. Their wealth was judged by the by the uh, kind of um, door and entrance they had to their houses, even in the cities of Amsterdam or whatnot. If you had only one staircase going up to your door, you were moderately wealthy. But if you had two staircases going up, then you were rich. Um, and mom... Mom, didn't the uh, significance, significance of the front yard and a, a, a edge in the front of the yard? Oh, yeah, you're right, Paul. Yeah, yeah. In, in uh, lesser towns that were not uh, so filled like Amsterdam, in, in, like, um, um, give, me a, give me a town in Holland, Paul. Um, Eindhoven or? Ein, yeah, yeah, Eindhoven. Okay. It's a moderately big place but they would have uh, houses that were separated in the cities they were all wall to wall wall to wall but if you had a smaller town the, the, the houses were um, separated somewhat and actually little bungalows like things and if you were really 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 rich you you built a um, shrub a uh, very tall shrub all around your front yard so people could could not see in interesting to to, to your front yard it, and it was very important that meant that you were extremely wealthy regardless of whether you were or not that was a symbol of wealth so when dad and i bought our house in chino the very first thing he did was mm -hmm. what did he do that shrubbery oh, he built a hedge. <laughs> <laughs> a shrubbery. And, and then, and then it, grew, it, it grew taller than it was um, when we moved out. Well, there was a robbery, and the police told us that it's a good idea to have um, vision from the street to the windows. And so he lowered the hedge a little bit. Yeah. 
He told it, he, the the police officer said, if you want to get good good uh, insurance coverage, you've got to get that shit uh, shrubbed down. It's, it's it's not safe. It's not. Uh, That's so safe. interesting that that even that hedge is 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 a cultural thing. Yeah, I never yeah, knew that. Was yeah, sure wow. was, and he nurtured it. He would never have allowed anybody to cut it down. It was something that was extremely important to him. That's so, yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Well, so he sure opened my world. He opened my world. He gave me a whole different perspective on life. And it was one that I could share wholeheartedly. I absorbed and all of us. Sponge. And the entire family. Yeah. And, and I was always so proud that, um, that uh, we, Ben and I, were able to share that with the kids. I, uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, live their entire lives in the U.S. And even though they may have foreign descent, they they uh, um, they don't ever get there to be able to see it. But when I got to go, I got to live it. I didn't just go to see it like you would as a tourist. I got to live it. And that was so special to me. And you got to live so, it again and again, too. Yeah, I did. Oh, I loved going back. Every time we went, I I just, I learned something new. I saw something new. Yeah, it was wonderful. Hmm. Yep. So what next? Um, well, we're going to go back to Houston because our trip is over. And we go back. So after, wanna, well, after Italy, you you um, head you head back to, do you head back to the Netherlands or do you leave back home from Italy? Well, our trips we took two trips to Italy. Um, one we went to Garda, and the other one we went over to Pisa. And the one to Pisa was shorter, and there were actual actually nudes on that beach in, in there, and that was the first time I'd ever seen that in my whole life. Um. I saw two gay men walking down the street holding hands in Pisa. And that was the, it's not that I didn't know there were gay people in the world, but I had never seen them overtly um, attached to each other. That was a new and different experience for me. And they were accepted. It was acceptable to do that. It wasn't outlandish or anything. It was just, they were just walking down the street holding hands. Yeah. In Italy, men would pass me on the street and pinch my butt. And it happened so often. You'd turn around and look at them like you're going to kill them. And they would just laugh like, I'm having so much fun. You know? Really? <laughs> yeah. Even when I was with Ben, I'd be holding onto his arm and some guy would come by and pinch my butt. What would he do? <laughs> Nothing. He'd just laugh. He was European. He didn't. They, they don't look at it like we do. <laughs> they had a whole different uh, perspective, and and because of that modernization and thinking, I think um, a lot of them started falling away from religion after that. After the war was over, there were a lot of people who started falling away from religion. 
even Mary didn't want to go. She would have to go because her mother would make her, but she didn't want to go. When she and Franz were on their own, they never went to church anymore. Willie stopped going. I don't think anybody went anymore. They were, you know, raised Catholic, but they didn't go anymore. And why did you think that was? Because they prayed that God would take care of him, and he didn't. Interesting. I think that was that was the big factor. But they had always... Oma, Mom didn't Oma and Willie have a place in the church that they would go every Sunday? In they Dilbert? did. Yeah, they did. They, they, yeah, they had their own pew. They had to go sit in the same spot. But since their mother was gone, then um, they were kind of freed... Yeah. Did not have to do that anymore. Yeah, mom mom still went. In fact, the, his mother went every single day. There was a little um <clears throat> a little chapel like thing close to where she lived, across the street. She went every day and stopped in and prayed and and did whatever she did and started her day that way. But she was kind of the the end of them. Yeah, I, I had the impression that um the war was so devastating and they were Catholics. You know, the Italians and were very Catholic, and uh, Germans were already becoming Protestants because of the Reformation, but um, it, our, uh, France was predominantly Catholic, and God just didn't come through for them. They had always been taught that if they did what they were supposed to do, uh, go to church, pray, live a good life, all that kind of thing, that God would take care of them, and he didn't. He let bad things happen to him on mass scale. So, yeah, that was kind of that. Mm. Well, are you through? Are you, are you? Well, why don't you, why don't you take us back, take us back to Houston. Okay. And let's just go, and then let's go from there. Cause you didn't, you didn't stay in Houston long. Um, okay. So the second year we're in Houston, we've spent one now. We're back for our second. We moved into a, another apartment uh, that was, a little, no, no, we didn't. We went back to our, we had a one-room apartment uh, in Houston, just very close to where we lived with uh, all of us together. It was like one apartment unit over. And uh, Ben and I had a one-bedroom uh, apartment, and it um, was L, not L-shaped. It was, the apartment was on two sides and had a great big pool in the middle. And um, it's very friendly. Everybody in there was was very nice and friendly. And it was while we were in there that we met um, our neighbors. Um, his name was Jerry Lytle, and he was um, he was a medical student at um, at uh, the medical center in Houston. It was, it was a big thing for, for cardiac. For uh, He became a neurosurgeon, but they were really big on cardiac and neuro, neurology and all that kind of stuff in that hospital. And he was a student, almost ready to graduate. And his wife, Bonnie, her family lived in Chino, but um, they were married. And they had a baby. Just a little bit after we did, Ben was a few months old when their baby was born, and they live right next door to us. Well, tell us, tell us a little bit about that too. Tell us. So obviously, 
You come back home, get in an apartment. You guys are just working. Did you yeah. realize you were pregnant? Oh yeah, I was pregnant. Well, when did you realize it? When school started, I just started school with the worst um, morning sickness you ever saw in your life, and I threw up every morning when I before I went to school, and it was probably noon before I felt like being a human. Uh, it was really hard, but uh, the school was so nice. We had we had so much fun. We had so many friends there. It wasn't all that bad. Were there any but complications the, um, with with the pregnancy or yeah tell us a little bit about no no it, the, ben being you born know when i was ill before when i was ill before when, before ben and i got married that doctor told us that i might not ever be be able to have children well i can tell you i got pregnant uh, and ben was born 10 months later i never had one problem didn't have any problems when i had him everything was just okay <laughs> the only thing was um was I going to tell you about that? They were how, about that how are you guys feeling all, all this? Because you kind of had mentioned earlier about Opa's reaction to all this, but give us kind of your your state of mind, having a son, you're in Houston, kind of worlds collide. Give a, give us your reaction and everything. How are you feeling at this point in your guys' life? Well, we just had a wonderful, wonderful trip. But, you know, I came back a week early and went with my mom and dad, or with uh, dad and Jerry, um, to Poplar Bluff before Ben met me in Houston again. And then we got our apartment and, you know, started living. And um, and then my dad got married to Bill. That was all very, very sad. But I don't remember, as long as we were away from them, I wasn't suffering a great deal. They came to visit me. Not long after we moved, uh, and we didn't have a place for them to spend the night, so they were had to stay um, in a hotel, and they didn't have a lot of money either, so that wasn't a very nice thing, and they didn't stay for very long. But uh, that was the one and only time my dad ever came to visit me in my entire life, and um, Bell was with him, and they held hands in the back seat, which made me want to cry. I never saw him hold my mother's hand, and um, it was just heartbreaking for me. He made some nasty comment about the breakfast that I served him, and I later heard it from a cousin. Um, we didn't have any money, and I had a couple pieces of bacon in the refrigerator that I was saving for a pot of beans. So I didn't have anything else to put in them, and I guess we had eggs. I don't know some simple little breakfast that I served them with toast and eggs or some. And he went back home and commented that, uh, well, she had bacon, but she didn't offer it to me. So oh I only goodness. know where that, was he, where that came from, but uh, was he that was kind of, it set the tone of that whole little visit that they had with us. Was he cruel? And he could be sarcastic. Um, no, he wasn't really cruel. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say he was cruel. And when he came to visit you in Houston, was was Ben born yet? No, no. That was just right after we went back. Okay, I gotcha. So tell tell the story of Ben being born, and then okay. you meeting they this doctor us. who lived in Chino, or uh, parents lived in Chino. Yeah, go from there. Okay. Um. They they made me stop working. 
uh, after the first semester. Ben wasn't due until April, but in those days you couldn't work, obviously pregnant for very long. But the kids and parents that uh, that were our subjects, you know, in our school, absolutely loved this. They had met both of us before we even knew each other, and they had gone through our courtship, and then our marriage, and then our trip to Europe, and then we came back, and I was pregnant. So all these, our students that were ours was living this uh, whole thing with us. <laughs> And we were very popular, I must say. <laughs> but I had to stop working, and I, and I just stayed home. And that's when I got to know Bonnie, because she was staying home, too. And um, uh, Bonnie and Jerry next door, we were complaining with them. They, they, they became our best friends. And we were um, complaining to them one day that we, uh, we were kind of stuck in Houston, because we could never buy a house. We could already see right now that the two of us together were never going to be able to make and save enough money to buy a house. And um, so Jerry said, well, um, no, no. Um, let's see how that happened. He said, you need to talk to my mom and dad when you meet my mom and dad. And that was about the extent of it at that moment. But. When Bonnie, I had my baby, and Bonnie had hers a little, little bit after that. And they were, um, her mom, Jerry's mother, came to take care of them when she gave birth. And so we met her, Mrs. Lytle, and um, we were complaining that you know we didn't know how we were going to stay in Houston because we saw no future there as teachers. Why? We had to go somewhere. Because we couldn't make enough money. We couldn't buy a house. We couldn't do anything. We could live in those dumpy little apartments forever, but that's not what we wanted as a life. Um, was and it, she was said, it just well, overpopulated? Was it? No, Texas has never paid their teachers well. They're still not, as far as I know. I see. They just, they just don't. It's not high on the scale of how to spend money, I guess. Um no, that was our complaint. No, no other. We loved Texas. We loved our school. We just couldn't make enough to. We were still fighting over which ice cream we could have on a birthday. Was it going to be vanilla or chocolate? Because we can only afford one. And we would fight over it in the grocery store. And then somebody had to compromise. And that kind of thing. We had nothing. And so were you vanilla or were you chocolate? I was chocolate, oh, but he didn't like chocolate at all. I could eat vanilla. Gotcha. So you know how that story went. <laughs> but Mrs. Lionel said, well, why don't you guys come to California? Um, we can pay you. And I think we were making like maybe uh, 400 a year, and they were going to offer us six. And to tell you the truth, I do not remember now if that was both of us together or one of us. I don't remember a year. Um, but anyway, it was considerably more than we were making in Texas. So we talked back and forth. We wrote letters back and forth. And Mr. Lytle hired us. He never saw us. But uh, 
Chino always needed teachers. They were growing faster than other places in California. And they always needed teachers. He would go out on uh, trips to Nebraska or um, whatnot um, to recruit teachers each year. So getting us was fine. I mean, Jerry knew us. His wife knew us. And so he didn't doubt for a minute that we would be a fine addition to the Chino faculty. And he hired both of us, uh, sight unseen. And so um, we went not that year, but the next year. The next year is when we went to Chino. But we went um, after writing letters back and forth quite a bit got everything all straightened out. Within a year, we were moving out here. But Ben was born in April. And when he he was a beautiful little baby, I've told you this before, that he was the prettiest baby I ever saw. And um, I was in the hospital with him. And I had a saddle block injection in my spine. And nobody told me that I was not supposed to raise my head for 12 hours or so um, up because a a, um, bubble could form in my back that would give me headaches, would go up my spine and give me headaches. They were called saddle block headaches at that time. It was very common, I guess, but everybody was warned not to get their head off the pillow for quite a while, and I was not given that piece of information. So when they brought Ben in to me, I leaned up on my uh, elbow and looked at him and looked at him for quite a long time because he was just the prettiest thing I'd ever seen. And I had to check out his fingers and his toes and his little nose. And, oh, my God, he was just such a precious little thing. And so I got these horrible, horrible headaches. And um, they sent me home. I I was in there for a few days with him, and then they sent me home. and. I would lay in bed with my head down on a pillow, just pound, 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 and try to breastfeed him, but I couldn't because I couldn't get up and change him and all the rest of that stuff I needed to do, and I was nervous and in pain and all that kind of stuff, so the nursing didn't last long. The doctor uh, put him on formula and, and just said, no, your body doesn't need this. You can Let's help you recover from these headaches before we do anything else. So they put him on bottles. But then the bottles had to be um, boiled, sanitized. The uh, formula had to be mixed and put into the jars and put into the refrigerator each day. And I couldn't get up to do it. I couldn't do anything. I was just so miserable with that pounding headache. And it lasted for, I don't know, it lasted straight through for at least a week or so and I was just beginning to come out of it and um, Ben came home at lunch and did whatever he could do for the baby and me and uh, I had girlfriends that would drop in and try to help me. Bonnie came over and helped me a lot but I had no mother or anybody to come and stay you know to give me a hand. I, I didn't. It had to be just us and so we were really struggling Um just to get along. And then um, it was just such a terrible, miserable experience for all of us. But at 
two weeks when I finally kind of got the bottle thing all taken care of, um, the baby would drink half a bottle of uh, formula and then I had to put a sheet down on the bed and he would throw it all up and it was uh, extended throwing up. It would just go almost off the bed. And I was a new mother and very ignorant and I knew babies burped, but I didn't think that was normal. So I talked to one of my um, friends from school uh, who had children already. And I told her what I was what I was going through. And she said, oh, you have to take him to the doctor. It sounds like he has. Um, well, it was pyloric stenosis. Ben knows all of it, the whole word for it. But that was exactly what she told me that the baby had. So um, I told Ben, Ben took off work the next day. We um, packed him up, took him down to the doctor. And sure enough, the doctor said, yeah, there's the bubble. It's closed up. He'll die if he doesn't have it opened. Oh, and my. so um, in all of our misery and me, my headaches didn't happen every every time all day long anymore. They were periodic and they came and went. Um, this was like two weeks after I had him. So we had to, uh, I had to go to the hospital with him and they had a little cot in the room and I had to spend the night in there with him for a couple of nights while they did the surgery. And poor little guy was um, tethered to his baby bed. So because they were making an incision in, in his stomach and had a bandage over it and they didn't want his hands to uh, rip the bandage off or to do anything with the incision, so to keep his hands away, they had to put big um, elastic bands around them and then uh, pin that to the baby bed, the, the um, spirals on the baby bed, so his hands couldn't do it. And he would just lie in bed and scream and scream and scream and scream and scream and scream and scream. And, scream. and he couldn't nurse. I couldn't hold him. Um, I would... Nurse would come in and take care of him because it was so much easier for her to do it than for me to try. But I would sit there with him and and touch him and love him and do what I could. But all I could do is put my hands through the spirals of the bed and just uh, soothe him. I could never hold him hold him close or anything until they decided that it was uh, safe enough for him to have to have his hands unloose. But he was such a nervous little baby after that. It, it, starting off was just he was just um, in torment, poor little guy, either from nearly starving or then that awful, awful trip to the hospital where he was tethered. And so when we finally got him back home, he had a hard time sleeping. And um, we bought him a bassinet on wheels. And Ben and I would take turns during the night rocking him because he had a hard time uh, sleeping when he was still. And the rocking seemed to put him to sleep, soothe him and put him back to sleep. So we, we took turns doing that with him, and um, time passed, and we all survived. <laughs> but Poor little guy. Know, yeah, I kind of wonder, you know, he had, we had a terrible beginning with him, yeah. and, and everything with the birth and everything was okay. It was just that those awful headaches I got, and then, and, then, um, and then his illness. One of the kids at school, uh, when he was born, brought to school to give to Ben a great big enormous red teddy bear that was the size of a five-year-old um, 
and you guys grew up with it. Do you remember it, Paul? Great, I huge, don't. enormous red teddy bear. It was in our house in Chino for years until it finally fell apart, and I think we had to <laughs> finally trash it. But I bet my dad remembers. Yeah, I think he would. Yeah. So how long were you yeah, guys in, in Houston before? How old was was little? And and you named him. Was was there any, was it just pretty much obvious what his name was going to be? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yes. Um, Bernardus, yeah, there was no question he was going to be a Bernardus. Yeah. And, it, you know, this was a generational thing way back. Right. <laughs> um, I would have had to suffer with all of Dutch names if I hadn't with Paul just put my foot down and said, no, you named the first two. I'm going to name this one. So I named him Paul, <laughs> which was not a family name. Sorry, Paul. I probably should just let Daddy have his way. No, like Paul. What was Fred he going to be named? You, well, you probably would have been named Fredericus or something. Fred? Oh, super. Yeah, no, I like Paul. Fred. <laughs> I already have an Uncle Fred. So Uncle Paul worked yeah. out. Yeah. So Agreed. how how old were you? How old was sorry, how old was little Bernardus when you guys decided to make the move? And when you made the move, did you buy a house right away? Did you live in an apartment in California? I mean, that sounds like an adventure. Because California at that point, I mean, was was just starting to get going, right? Um, yeah, well, kind of, but we, we spent that year, that summer, dad worked in summer school and I stayed home. And then in the fall, uh, we both went back to teaching again and we had a woman take care of Ben. And then, um, during that year, we moved we moved into a two-bedroom apartment so he could have his own room. He was sleeping a little bit better at that point, so it wasn't far. It was like two streets over in a, a uh, same kind of an apartment, but it had two bedrooms. So I moved in there, and then I went back to work. And um, the following year, following summer, is when... Um, we went back to Europe and took Ben with us. So we were still living in Houston at that point. And all three of us went back to Europe. Do you, so his mother could, could meet his son, you know. And do you wanna talk great. do you wanna talk about that trip? Or do we wanna do we wanna call well, it here? getting very tired i think that probably is enough all right let's call it here and then we can start up at that point next time all right <laughs>